everybody, and welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Mind of the Week podcast. I'm Steve Seiper, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Wallace, Ken Levin, and Thomas Anderson. How are you guys doing this week? Good, good. I'm doing alright. Something finally happened. <laughs> yeah, something finally happened. Well, in other news, today's... One of the many days of Hanukkah, so happy Hanukkah. How do you spell Hanukkah? With an H, not a C. What? With an H, not a C. But has a C? Right? Yeah, yeah. in some spelling. If you wanted to. The first are you letter. saying are you saying that the C at the start of Hanukkah shouldn't be there? Uh, I mean, if you wanted to be there, you can put it there, and it's fine. My brain has just been freaked live on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're telling see... me that it's not the C at the front of Hanukkah is not mandatory. You could just spell it starting with an H? Yes. I prefer it that way. What the fuck? Yeah, I've never seen it. All right. Well, you learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah. Holy well, you know, it's something. Right. Yeah. You know, it's something that I learned. Is that the Hanukkah zombie who was on Futurama? Yes, <laughs> he's voiced by Mark Hamill, which I did not yeah. know. Yeah, obviously Mark Hamill is one of like the most prolific voice actors out there currently with his role with Joker. So, well, maybe not prolific, but prominent anyway. Mm-hmm. So, of these other modern voice actors, who are we going to promote, extend, or trade? And these are all pretty famous voice actors from the past, like, 20, 30 years or so. So first we have Mike Judge, who did Beavis, Butthead, uh, Hank Hill, and a personal role model of mine, Boomhauer. God dang it, Bobby. <laughs> I didn't know that was him. Yeah. Next is Dan Castellanada, who did Grandpa from Hey Arnold. He did Homer Simpson, Krusty the Crown groundskeeper willie and like basically dozens and dozens of all the secondary characters from simpsons damn scots they ruined scotland <laughs> and last but not least is billy west who did ren and stimpy he did doug fry professor farnsworth zoidberg and another personal role model of mine zap brannigan <laughs> zap brannigan i am the man with no name zap brannigan <laughs> It's always uh, funny to me how many, how like, how many guys, um, how they voice people like that, like you, that you'll never know. Mm-hmm. He, he, like, you he, he should have, like, he just did 80% of Futurama, basically, by mm-hmm. himself. Yeah. Uh, that's an easy, uh, extend on Billy West for me, because Futurama is my favorite, favorite animated show. Yep, same, same. Uh... I agree. I like it more than The Simpsons. It's much better. Same. Uh, I guess I'll and I'll also and I'll promote Judge and then trade Castellanada. Mm. I'm switching those because I do like The Simpsons. It's just I like Futurama more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm also switching them just because I think Mike Judge doesn't have the broad amount. Just just as many different voices. As Castellanada did. You know, I think that's fair. I just have never been into The Simpsons, honestly. No, fair. 
I also have a two two comments re- regarding your intro here at Mark Hamill. First of all, how could mm-hmm. you leave out voicing Ozai in in Avatar? Because uh, I've never seen it, though. I didn't know that with him. I'm sorry, you haven't seen Avatar. I'm sorry, you haven't seen Thomas the Tank Engine. So. <laughs> oh, here we go. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think I it's think much even. worse that you haven't seen Last Airbender, and I haven't seen a, t- a show designed to sell kids train toys from the 80s or whenever. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Thomas the Train is going to be number one on Steve's prospect list. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Uh, right behind number zero, Tim Tebow. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Tim Tebow's the name of the, 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 the Tim Tebow annual prospect list. <laughs> Second question. I, did, something I've never looked up. Did Hamill actually sing the Hanukkah zombie lines in, uh, 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 Bender's big, not Bender's big score, uh, the wild yonder. No, no, that's the fourth one. Maybe it's Bender's big score in the first Futurama movie. I wonder if he actually did sing the song where it's like him, uh, uh, the Santa bot and then the the uh, uh, Kwanzaa bot. Probably. I mean, it was kind of more of a rap, which I could see in that's true. Mark Hamill's uh, range. Yeah, didn't know Mark Hamill. So go figure. Oh, He's was that good? No, Mark Hamill's great. Yeah. Uh, you know what else is? Uh, Picard is also great. Sorry, go ahead. Mm. I was just gonna say, you know what else is great? The fact that the Mets signed the catcher. Hooray! Yes. Signed uh, signed up James McCann to a four year deal, forty million dollars. Obviously, that improves the major league team, um, and it's not a bad deal or anything like that. If he's good, then you have a good catcher for $10 million a year and if he regresses then $10 million is not going to kill you so it's basically win-win the new Mets should be fine with. yeah this is something we no longer have to care about Yeah, in my opinion I'm, yeah, I'm still going back and forth on how I feel about McCann as a player I think I've been convinced that the defensive improvement is real but I'm still worried the offense might just but who knows? Yeah, I mean, if you can get 75% of the offense that Real Mudo might be giving you at 25% of the cost, then it works. He puts up, like, it's like a 95 weighted. It's probably yeah. good enough. Yeah. How I feel about this is basically if they sign Springer, I'm fine. And if they don't, then I'm like, why Why was this the only offensive move? Mm. Like, because if you're going to cut the catcher price, which is fine if you're going to sign Springer because... They think they just identified Springer as better. Maybe Springer wants less than Rio Muto does, and you could get both upgrades for the price of one type thing. But like, if they don't, then you're just going to roll out like a pretty like the offense really relies on McCann to be like elite offensively. Eh, I don't know about that. I think this offense is pretty good, even as is. It. I think it's going to be good, but like you, you're losing Cano's 140 weighted. Sure, but they were like a top two. They were a top two offense last season, and that was with McNeil playing on one knee for literally and keeping bad. And you're right. So I'm not going to say that losing Cano is irrelevant, but I trust JD Davis to put up like slightly above average offense. And if McNeil is just a little bit healthier, 
I don't, I, I don't think the offense need, point being, I don't think the, and the offense needs a huge upgrade anywhere. Now I would like it to be upgraded. I'm all for signing Springer at this point, but, um, yeah, if they don't, if they're gonna not spend on Real Muto, they need to use that money elsewhere. Yes. Well, one additional benefit that comes with signing James McCann over Real Muto is that since Real Muto was offered a qualifying offer and McCann was not, uh-huh. the Mets will not be losing any draft picks by signing him. So, useful if the Mets are gonna be, uh, swimming with the big boys and signing some other big names later on in the winter. I will note uh, that that's, uh, that's something about trading for stars that I think, I mean, myself included, I, sometimes gets forgotten a little bit. Like, because the Dodgers never go out and sign someone who takes a QO, but they go ahead and trade for Mookie Betts, and yeah, they give some stuff up to do that, but, and then pay him a market value contract, but how much better are the prospects they traded really than the draft picks you would give up by? Signing a guy like Betts in free agency who's definitely going to get the QO. I also so. think the QO matters a little less now that it's not a first. Absolutely. I mean, that's, because, that's like, big too. Like, when it was a first, I would always be like, eh, I would like my first, but a second in baseball drafts? Whatever. Yes. Like, you know, like, I'd rather, if you're keeping your first, then the Dodgers are just going to draft someone in the first who's good anyway. Like, because mm-hmm. they're, they're smart. So, yep. you know, <laughs> like, like, hopefully the Mets are going to start doing that, too. And I haven't disliked their past two drafts, even with Brody. So I would assume they would only get better with better people coming in. Yep. Well, probably not as an impactful signing as McCann. But the Mets signed another guy, Trevor Hildenberger, who is a theoretical bullpen option. But more likely, he's going to be uh, an owner for Syracuse. He was really genial. Yeah. He was originally drafted by the Twins in the 22nd round in the 2014 draft out of the University of California at Berkeley. Didn't really pitch too much early on. Um, he changed his mechanics. He became basically a sidearm dude, and he became a pretty important part of their bullpen. And then the Twins drafted him. They pushed him through the system pretty quickly. And then he made his MLB debut in 2017, and we saw that year. But he regressed in 2017 and 2019 which led to him getting non-tendered. And then Boston signed him last year, but with everything going on, he didn't actually crack their roster. And now he's here with us. And overall, this stuff is kind of eh, which is why the margin of error is really thin. Um, fastball is about 88 to 93, some sink, but it gets a little boost from the weird angle that it's coming from since he's a side armor. And then he complements it with a slider and a changeup, and they're basically both kind of Averageish pitches, so really all that he's got going for him right now is that he's a side armor with a funky angle. But you know, minor league deal, whatever. I wonder if Hefner played a role. Like there's speculation that he played a role in bringing in May. I wonder if he played a role here as well, because again, another Twins connection, possibly. I absolutely think he did. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, he's sometimes these these random guys like. You know, they're, they're so dime a dozen that if there's some kind of connection to somebody rather than one of them instead of, you know, the, yeah. the ten other guys that are similar. And yeah. it, I, I don't have any particularly hot text takes about this guy. The Mets lack upper minors pitching depth. They're working to address that. This, that's a good thing. And hopefully it works off. Works out. Yep. They also should now trade for Paul Fry so that they have Burger and Fry. 
<laughs> Paul Fry yeah. is a lefty reliever on the Orioles, for those of you who have not spent way too many hours scrolling through depth charts. I didn't even think of that, but, you know, that's a compelling case to make, and I completely agree with you now there. They should. Mm-hmm. A decent little lefty, too. They could, they need a lefty reliever, so. Well, they didn't get one in the Rule 5 draft, unfortunately. Boy, here uh, we go. Yeah, Rule 5 draft is this week. Um, you know, quick rundown of the rules. In the Major League portion, a team can make a pick for $100,000, but the guy has to stay on the roster for an entire season. Um, and if he doesn't, then he goes back to the original team. And then in the AAA minor league portion, a team takes a pick for $24,000, and he just gets assigned to a minor league team, and that's that. So the Mets lost some players, and they gained some players. So let's go over the guys that they lost first. Um, the main one is Daniel Nunez. We ranked 21 on our top prospect list last year. All in all... I'm not really that big of a fan. He's a kind of generic right-hander, so losing him, you know, it, it stings because the, the Mets system is kind of thin, but in the grand scheme of things, it probably is not that big of a deal if he isn't returned. Uh, he's a low to mid-90s fastball that has some good spin rates that, that you know, they rave about, an okay slider and a developing changeup. Um, he's a starter that probably will do a little bit better in the bullpen, you know, his fastball will get a little more velocity to it. But he doesn't really have a real wipeout offering. He has kind of command problems that come and go. So it's not like even a lock that he'd be better as a reliever because those are two things that you really need as a reliever. So, you know, oh well. He's also 24 and hasn't pitched above high A. Right, he's an older, he's an older signing, so. Um, the Giants suck, so I could see them holding on to him. For the season, but I'm not gonna. Like people are gonna say he was. Oh, he was a top or twenty or fifteen. I think you could justify him as high as fifteen in the system, probably. Because this, but that's only because the system sucks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if the Mets had a healthier system, he would be in the you know other guys to be aware of, but exactly. not actually prospects. It's like who who cares that much? That's like one of those things that like. Because I used to care about that a lot when I when I didn't really look at prospects like that. I was like, oh, he's a top guy in their system. But then I was like, you got to compare the systems there, bud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, hon- honestly, like, there are smarter teams who lost guys who are better than Nunez above. Like the Dodgers lost Brett DeGoose. The Yankees lost Garrett Whitlock. Whitlock was a guy for them, right? Like, yeah. Like they, there are there are much better players that teams with that that we over the past decade or whatever, we trust to work smarter than the Mets lost. I'm not going to particularly worry about losing Daniel Nunez. Uh, if you have a healthy system, you should have, like, three new Daniel Nunez's every year. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, you could sign a major league reliever for minimal money, and he's probably going to be a better than Nunez is at this point and quite possibly might ever be. So yeah. Yeah. it is so well. I, I mean, would say the, was way more busier than I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the alternative here is that you would have had to add him to the 40, and then if if the Mets did the things they needed to, probably wind up having to pass them through waivers in a couple of months anyway to make room on said 40. So, like, whatever. Yeah, it's no big deal. And then the Mets 
um, made a pick themselves in the Major League portion of the Rule 5 Jeff. They selected right-hander Luis Oviedo from the Cleveland Indians, and then they promptly traded him to Pittsburgh for cash considerations. So, kind of disappointing, but in the grand scheme of things, similar to Nunez, uh, it's not like he was particularly great, so it doesn't really he's, matter. He's 100% a better prospect yes. than Nunez. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, he probably basically, would have, like, made our list. <laughs> yeah. He's a, a back-end Indians prospect. Somewhat intriguing. Um, fastball sits in the mid-90s with some sink on it. And he's got a decent curve, decent slider, changeup that's developing. And he's kind of been held back by spotty command. All in all, he's kind of like a more advanced and younger version of Nunez, basically. Yeah. Um, I think, I think like he's one of those guys who really popped in 2018 to use the scouting vernacular there and then uh, was a little hurt or something in 2019. And that, which, which hurt his stock. And then right after the Mets made this pick, you saw the tweets kind of trickle out from the, the people who actually know, know, have their prospect sources that, oh, he looked good in the alternate side or instructs or whatever. It's like, oh, the, and which was intriguing because like, oh, the Mets figured out that this dude's velocity came back in instructs or something. How'd they figure that out? Oh, wait, they didn't figure it out. They just made this pick <laughs> and traded it to someone else. That, 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 that that's it. They probably don't have the infrastructure to figure that out right now. Exactly, which is why I'm like, oh, cool, they did something. Wait, how did they know that? Oh, they didn't didn't know that. Like, Sandy wasn't scouting the instructs for the the A's, you know? (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) it's one of those things where, like, we just can't do that until next year, Mm -hmm. now that they have a GM and everything. Yeah. And I know I've said a couple times that I'm not particularly worried about their ability to assemble a major league roster with a limited front office staff, but this is the kind of stuff you miss out on without a full, fully fledged front office. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And the minor league portion, there was a lot of action. Um, the Mets lost a bunch of guys, and then they picked up a bunch of guys. So they lost shortstop Sebastian Espino, Whatever. catcher Wilfred Astudillo. Right-handed pitcher, yeah. Uh, right-handed pitcher. Four one half in the chat for La Tortuga 2.0 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> El Tortuga 2 Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Ken's got the better title than I do. Uh, right-hand pitcher Ezekiel Zabaleta, and second baseman the baseman Mitchell Tolman, who they signed like two or three weeks ago, so that was actually kind of comical. Mm. But of That's those why guys, I that name. okay, yeah. Uh, oh, those guys, Espino and Astudio are the most noteworthy. Uh, two 20-year-old kids don't have experience above rookie ball, but they have solid uh, defense at important positions. Still kind of question marks with the bat. Um, I think Astudio has more of a chance to make it than Espino because he has bloodlines, obviously. And because Espino is like 170 pounds soaking wet and the bat is kind of slow that I think it's going to be a challenge to hit even for average, whereas Estudio seems to have a a better bat. But we'll see between all those guys. And then of all the guys that the Mets picked up, nobody really jumps out at you. Um, We selected outfielder Andrew Ferguson from Houston. They selected right-hand pitcher Justin Dillon from Toronto. Second baseman Drew Jackson from Los Angeles. Dodgers. Right-hand pitcher Jesus Reyes, 
and left-handed pitcher um, Jose Zaria, both of whom are from Cincinnati. Ferguson, the outfielder, he's a you know kind of average across the board guy. No major weaknesses, but no like standout tools or anything like that either. Okay, hit tool, below average power, average speed, above average eye and plate discipline, below average range, average arm. So just everything balances out. Dylan, he's kind of like that, but as a pitcher, um, his fastball is kind of below average, high 80s to 90, with an average slider, curve, changeup, all of which play up because he's a pretty good command guy, so kind of junk ball dude. Drew Jackson, he's probably the most interesting of the bunch. He was a top prospect in Seattle a couple of years ago. He was drafted in the fifth round of the 2015 draft out of Stanford. And the bat never really developed enough to make him, like, a viable everyday player. But he's an athletic guy. He's kind of a a jack-of-all-trades and a very ideal backup utility guy. Um, Jesus Reyes, he's a ground ball guy. Solid fastball to the mid-90s, and then he's got a slider to complement it. But it's kind of really just a one-two mix. And then the last one, the left-hander, Jose Zaria. Couldn't find anything about him. Other than the fact that, you know, uh, he's been in the red system for five years and he still hasn't pitched above rookie ball where he wasn't too good. So that's not good. And the fact that he shares his name with a poet and playwright from the mid-1800s and a Mexican politician from the 2000s. So those are all the Jose Zarias out there. What if he's what immortal about? and he's both of those people? That would be impressive. That would also explain why he's not good at baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, overall... None of those guys really stand out as being too interesting. But in the minor league part of the draft, that's usually how it goes. It's more about stocking the double-A team and the triple-A team with bodies than, like, getting actual good players. Honestly, I'd rather see them re-sign guys like Travis Tyrone, you know, Rob Whalen, guys that they released this year, guys that we have connections to that we've always been rooting for, other than, you know, newly drafted guys. Obviously, hope that these new... Newly drafted guys, you know, turn into Hall of Famers, but I'd much rather see Travis Tyrone uh, turn things around to turn into a Hall of Famer, you know? So, mm-hmm. however unlikely that may be. Yeah, I have no, uh, I have no strong feelings one way or the other. We will be writing about these guys in the minor league reports. Yes. Will we? None of these guys are. One of them's gonna get like a player of the day. Yeah. Oh, 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 you mean that. I thought you meant for the possible. Yeah. Oh, no. Possibly. Like the daily one. <laughs> yeah. One of them will hit, like, a random walk-off home run and be like, oh, right, that guy that I totally forgot was on and this roster. And then I have roster. to look for a picture on, uh, of him like that. <laughs> no, oh, my God. It's the worst. It's been, so lo- it's been, like, since we didn't do any last season, so long since we had to do a farm report, I forgot about how hard the pictures can be. It's all it's like, like credit Steve. <laughs> oh, like, and we're not going to even be able to send people to spring training this year, yeah. probably. We're going to have nothing. We're going to well, have no pictures. The worst part is like, okay, this dude went six for six with six home runs. He's clearly the star of the, uh, of the night. Uh, well, we don't Here's have a any pictures of Tim of Tebow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> the people sometimes love Tebow. Sometimes it's someone that with like so little information that you can't even like write a tweet about them. Like, sometimes yeah. you can't even find their signing information if it's a random DSL dude or something. It's like, who? Mm-hmm. Whoops! 
that's why I like when I when I go to games and I'm taking pictures and stuff. Like obviously, you know, I'm there to to see the main guys, but that's why I like taking pictures uh, and figuring who all of like you know random relievers and things like that because you never know when this dude is gonna you know throw an immaculate inning or something like that. It's like oh shit, we need to fucking talk about this dude. And then See, boom, it, it, there's a picture. Is it better or were here? There are two scenarios that I've always found rather annoying. One, the one we just discussed, where there are no pictures. But two, when somebody suddenly improves, and we only have, and is therefore coming up pretty frequently, but we literally only have one picture of them. So you might have like a stretch of like six farm, like ten, six of the last ten farm reports have this same picture of one dude on. <laughs> Dude just keeps hitting dingers, and we got one picture. Sorry. It's occupational hazards, man. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the different winter leagues that have been going on. And there's one more that's going to be starting, but it is not in the Caribbean. It is the Australian Baseball League which was founded in 2009, and it's an officially MLB-recognized English-speaking alternative to the Spanish-speaking Winter Leagues. And that's an actual quote from, like, the MLB website, so kind of uh, parsed weird to me, but whatever. Uh, Like we covered months ago, like in the spring, I guess, in Taiwan and Korea and Japan, baseball was brought to Australia by Americans in, like, the late 1800s. But unlike those countries, it didn't really ever catch on, probably because Australia had the, you know, it's a Commonwealth country and everything like that. And cricket and rugby and soccer are all very uh, also deeply those ingrained. There's constant wars with emus that they keep losing, you know, it's a big distraction. That's true. I mean, it's hard to, I wouldn't want to play baseball against an emu. A team fielded by Emus. Emus going to fuck you up. Yeah, I mean, they might not be able to hit well, but pinch running, they'll probably be really good. Don't, don't hit a batter. They're going to charge the mound. You're going to be in trouble there. Yeah, they're really big. Like, they're deceptively big. Mm-hmm. Um, So, the first organized, real organized baseball in Australia started in 1934, the Australian Baseball Federation. Um, They established the Claxon Shield Tournament. So that's, uh, I said professional. It was, it's not professional, it's amateur, excuse me, but it was organized. Um, the Claxon Shield Tournament, it's an amateur national tournament with teams from all the different Australian states. So that went for decades, and in the late 80s, they finally started a professional league, the Australian Baseball League. And that ran for about a decade before it folded for financial reasons, so they went back to being amateurs only. And then in 2010, the Australian government and Major League Baseball partnered and they invested in the country and established an official winter league, the current second and current incarnation of the ABL. So they play for 10 weeks. Usually it starts in November, but this year, for obvious reasons, uh, things got delayed and pushed back. Um, 
rosters are a mix of local enhancement talent, professionals from Europe, professionals from Taiwan, South Korea, Japan, minor leaguers loaned from MLB teams, minor league veterans, major league veterans. It's a whole mishmash. And the league actually uses a really interesting um, way to keep some balance. They use a point system. So that prevents teams from being too uneven with some of them splurging on, like, the big-name professionals and, you know, the other ones only kind of having local guys to pick from. It's extremely convoluted, but it's an interesting idea. Um, each team has 360 points that they could use during the regular season, which comes out to about 15 points per game. So if a manager pencils in an MLB-affiliated player into the lineup, that costs two points. Using a player from an independent team that's not in Australia or Asia, another two points. Using a player that is affiliated with the NPB, KBO, or CPBL is zero points. Using a player that's on the Australian national team is negative one point. And using uh, an amateur from Australia is negative two points. And then if the team uses a player who's deemed a franchise marquee player, that costs zero points, and the team could designate two guys. That status. Simply Wait, so how many Mike points does... as your franchise player? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, how many points does Mike Trout count? If he just wakes up one day, he's like, you know, I'm bored. I'm going to take a flight down to play some uh, Australian baseball. <laughs> I would assume that they would deem him a franchise player, but, you know, you never know. Australians can be weird. That's interesting, that, like, point system to almost like a salary cap, I guess. Like, yeah. to, I mean, because these players are getting paid, I'm assuming, but. Yeah. Um, like, that's that's an interesting way to make sure no one team is just, like, the Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> this league always fascinates me, though, because it's, it's just, like, such a random hodgepodge of players from all over. That are just like playing together for like a few months, and then they're just that's it. I yep. can see this league becoming very big, though. Yeah, like um, like a big prospect circuit in a couple of years. And it's yeah, an interesting I mean, way to get your eyes on like Asian players. Mm-hmm. Like if you're scouting your own players, like and one of your teammates, one of the one of your players' teammates is from an Austra- Australian league, from an Asian league, and it's just like, oh, he's actually really good, and then you could kind of get in on the ground floor on someone like that. Well, optimally, teams are doing scouting already, but maybe not yeah. that. I also I mean, wonder if there's like a level of of, of uh, development there that might be missing in some of the Caribbean leagues, just in terms of like the, the country's infrastructure and things like that. I, I could see it turning into something like the Arizona Fall League, just for a, like a little later into the year. Yeah, and there is more of an emphasis on sending minor league prospects from organized MLB, from you know affiliated MLB teams to these teams, which is not present in the Dominican teams or the Puerto Rican or any of the other Caribbean winter leagues, really. Mm-hmm. And um, you know. Getting bigger and expansion is definitely something. There's definitely room to grow. Uh, there's currently eight teams in the league. Seven of them are in Australia, and then one is in New Zealand. Um, there's the Adelaide Giants, the Brisbane Bandits, Canberra Calvary, the Melbourne Aces, the Perth Heat, the Sydney Blue Sox, the Auckland Tuatara, 
which is the New Zealand team, and then Geelong Korea, which is a special joint-funded team between the ABL and the KBO that is made up completely of South Korean expatriates. Um, Do they play in Australia? Or Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Geelong, Geelong, however it's pronounced, is a city in southern Gosh, Australia. Okay. Not that far from Melbourne, I think. How is no team named the Kangaroos? True. Uh, that's probably racist in Australia. I don't know. Um, Kangaroo Jack's going to show, show up. <laughs> the Tuatara, by far, have the best logo. It's a really angry-looking iguana. And then the How blue... does an iguana look angry exactly? Look up the logo and he looks pretty angry. Uh, maybe he didn't get, maybe he's pissed that the gecko beat him out for that car insurance job. Probably. And he's stuck working for a baseball team. <laughs> yeah. And it's an expansion baseball team too, so just barely had a job. He could be saving you 15% on your car insurance. <laughs> Second best logo is definitely the blue socks. It's an angry-looking, anthropomorphic blue sock. And the logo looks even better when they modify it to be Manny-specific when they give him dreads. Because Manny, as we've discussed, is going to be playing on the blue socks for the 2020-2021 season. Not really sure what to make of Manny. Um, He's going to be a player coach. He hasn't played at a high level in like five years. Basically, the last time when he played in any kind of competitive league is when he spent the winter in the Dominican Summer League in, in 2014-2015. But he did really good. So, I don't know. I guess that bodes well. He played for the Kokichi Fighting Dogs in 2017. That's a Japanese independent team uh, in the Shikoku Island League. He played there for a couple of months. Um... That is very, very low-level baseball. It's probably equivalent of probably, like, rookie ball here or short A. You know, not very high. But he hasn't played professionally since then, which is 2017. He's 48 now, so who knows. But definitely excited to see Manny hit at least one homer. And you know it's going to happen because Manny at age 48 is probably still going to be the best guy on the field. Look, if Bartolo Colon can show up to, like, pick up softball games and hit dingers, I think Manny can show up and and hit a dinger (laughs) in this Australian league. I would hope so. Um, As we've gone over the last couple of weeks, he's going to be joined by a bunch of Mets players, Carlos Cortez, Manny Rodriguez, Adam Aller, Andrew Mitchell. He is unfortunately not going to be joined by Francisco Alvarez, who is not going to be going to Australia. He is instead going back to Venezuela. Um, basically, he's been stuck in the U.S. since the season started last year, or the lack of the season, I should say, because of COVID travel restrictions. So after like 12 months, whatever it's been, he's finally getting to go back to see his family now. So definitely can't blame him. Um, disappointing, but I'd much rather have a, a happy, healthy Alvarez for when spring training starts in February rather than a burned out kid. You know, who played, but is super depressed. Yeah, his mental health is more important. Yeah. 100, at, 100 times out of 100. Yep. And uh, again, you know, he is uh, uh, an 18-year-old kid, you know, who has been away from his family in the middle of a pandemic all this time. So it's completely understandable that he would uh, be feeling a little stressed and depressed 
Oh, for sure. Not being, yeah, not being yeah. around his family. I couldn't imagine what that's like. Oh, uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like, 18-year-old me. I don't know. 18-year-old me was desperate to get away from my parents, but, you know, yeah, it's like, a whole different I, I, issue. I'm kind of, like, independent, but at the same time, like, I would like to be in contact with people. Like, I don't want to be isolated and... I can't even really imagine. I don't even want to think about it. I also think it's it's a little different because like he doesn't even have the option to like That's fair. Like yeah. he was like he was literally stuck here mm. without without a chance to be able to go home. So it's like <laughs> like that sucks. <laughs> you know? Like like at least if he was like if he wanted to be away and he all of a sudden changed his mind, he could just hop on a flight in normal times. But mm-hmm. this wasn't normal, so and you're you're in a foreign country. You're a young kid, and you're being taken care of by the Mets. With that's a dicey situation. <laughs> Mets and, and Manny Ramirez too. You know, that's a real, real great proposition there. So yeah, hopefully uh, Francisco Alvarez is back in spring training, and he's happy and healthy and ready to kick ass and become a top prospect in baseball. Which is a good possibility that he does. All right, so uh, let's wrap up here with our second segment of Fred Said What, where we <laughs> take a, a topical topic and we, uh, Fred Will Ponderize it. We we give it a, a liberal dash of Will Pondery. Uh-huh. So who are we going to do this week? So so I don't have a quote, but I have an event that reeks of Will Pondery. Is that an acceptable entrant into this uh, segment here? Yeah, sure. So, so in the last week, there was a news story about how uh, uh, Pfizer gave the U.S. an opportunity to purchase an additional 100 million doses of their COVID vaccine. This was, like, back in March or something. I don't know exactly. And the U.S., of course, turned it down, which just weak, reeks of Will Ponder. You know, why would I get a bench bat now when I could pay three times as much uh, for one later? Uh, that That just makes sense. Pretty much that that's the the Beltron quote where he's saying how they paid for a player who's worth like twenty percent of what he actually was. Uh-huh. Why should we pay for a vaccine when it just no? Yeah. <laughs> why 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 sign Kelly Johnson when we could just trade for him at the, the deadline again? Yeah. So I, I felt I, that was the moment that really stuck out to me as being uh, uh, soaked in Will Pondery, uh, if you will. <laughs> Soaked in Will Pondery. Infused with Will Pondery? What's what the a right cursed, as- uh, A cursed statement. <laughs> 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 really is a cursed. I'm never right. going to not think about soaked in Will Pondery for the rest of my life. It's gonna One be could say different. your brain has been soaked yeah. in Will Pondery now. <laughs> Big oof. The biggest of oofs. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, or whatever, you could send us an email at our email address from complexesqueens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Saipa. Lucas is at Elvajos343. Ken is at Ken1191. Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-M. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from, rate and review it, and of course, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets, love the Mets.